Each child is a gift from God, an embodied soul. How do I develop a lesson so that it meets their needs? We want to learn things for the love of learning and for the sake of learning and because it's beautiful, not because we can be on show. If you're gonna treat a child as a person, efficiency really has to drop low on your list of values because they're not wired to be efficient. Her starting point was always theological. In God's word, what does it say about children teaching and learning? And I'll say, those are the first grade stairs. We're walking up the first grade stairs. And every step is so important. Today you're on the first step. So everything will be new. But tomorrow, you'll be on the second step. And there will be some things that we've done today that we'll be doing tomorrow. And so you'll remember those things. Trinity School has a long-standing tradition of reading and growing together as a community. Over the past two decades, we've explored a range of works in our Trinity Reads program from the Bible to Tolstoy to Hans Christian Andersen and Andy Crouch. Join us this summer as we take a deeper dive into the rich and unhurried mission of Trinity School. Hi, I'm Chip Dent. And I'm the head of school at Trinity School in Durham and Chapel Hill. And this is part of our annual Trinity Reads program. This summer we're reading Susan Schaefer Macaulay's book, For the Children's Sake. And I am privileged today to be talking with Jack Beckman. Uh, Jack is a old friend of Trinity School. I've been around for a long time. Uh, we first met one another, I think, when the school was just starting. And Jack, you were, I think, at or had been recently at In-Town School. Yes. Yeah. Yep. It's great to talk to you again today, Jack. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Jack is uh, a professor of education at Covenant College. Jack, tell us a little bit about your work there at Covenant and what you do. Uh, no problem. Um, I've been at Covenant College for nearly 18 years now. Uh, I am professor of elementary education, chair of the department. Uh, uh, we've had numerous groups of students who have come through Covenant College's halls and have moved on to teach in schools all over the world uh, and all over the country, both public and private, and many of them uh, having to do with uh, Charlotte Mason's ideas. So, yep, that, yeah. that's what I do. And, uh, and that's really what we're here to talk about today. I know, Jack, we've leaned on you in the past for your knowledge of Charlotte Mason as Trinity has tried to craft its pedagogy around her vision in, in certain ways. And um, so I'd love to hear you um, who who was Charlotte Mason? What's your elevator pitch when when somebody, you know, hears that you're into Charlotte Mason or part of the Charlotte Mason Institute? Uh, what do you say? Yeah, that is probably the most difficult question of all to answer. Is taking uh, the life and work of a unique human being and encapsulating it. So I'll, I'll give it a go. Here's what I would say. Uh, I would say that Charlotte Mason was a British Christian educationalist from the late 19th to early 20th century. Uh, she believed that all children were born as multidimensional persons created as meaning-seeking and making beings. Uh, she maintained that they're created to interact with ideas through dynamic and personal relationships with God. 
uh, with the created order and people uh, with living books uh, flowing from a vibrant, wide, and integrative liberal arts curriculum. Now, the problem with giving that is that it is so full of things to talk about. But if I had to boil her down, uh, I think those several sentences might do it for me. Yeah, that's good. That's a really dense statement what you gave us. I think that we could unpack it and we won't have time to do all that today, but I think that's really, really great. Um, she was in a lot of ways ahead of her time. Do you think that's right? I mean, she feels, even though she feels Victorian, if you read her, there are ideas in her work that feel very relevant today, Do you, don't you think? No, I, I firmly agree with that. Uh, in her day and time in, in Great Britain, uh, they were just beginning to think about the nature of the child as a learner. Uh, and, and Charlotte Mason was on the forefront of that, but not only on the forefront of thinking about the child being a person, but, but framing the child in a theological understanding of, of imageness uh, and also their standing as learning and worshiping beings. So her ideas, I call them universalizing because they're timeless uh, in their uh, application. They, they are not 19th century. They're also 21st century. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I think we continue to discover that and rediscover that at Trinity. How did you first come to uh, learn about Charlotte Mason? Uh, I was at a little school in Ackworth, Georgia, uh, and in, in the early 90s, and a missionary family gave me a copy of Susan's book, For the Children's Sake. And uh, I put it on my desk, and after six months, it was covered up with all kinds of papers and other things. Family came by and asked for the book back, and I felt guilty. And I told them that I would read it, so I read it over the course of a weekend in guilt. Uh, and in that book, uh, I really discovered a kindred spirit and a person who was putting into words in a practical way things that I began to discover on my own. Uh, so I very quickly went out and bought the six volumes. And then over the course of the next six months, uh, I read and reread Charlotte Mason's six volumes and started to grapple with her ideas in a current context. Yeah. That's great. Um, we we were talking a minute ago about her relevance to twenty first century. What, let's go a little deeper with that. What what parts of her life story um, you think are especially interesting and relevant um, to twenenty first century parents? What what might they want to know about her that would help them relate to her? Yeah, that's a great question, and and one I think that deserves a lot of work. Uh, I, I would say that uh, Charlotte Mason, even though she wrote numerous books and pamphlets and articles, was not merely a theoretician. Uh, her desire was to interact and engage with children as God had made them to be. Uh, her desire was to create a curriculum that engaged them heart, soul, mind, and hand in order to help them see that the world is interconnected, uh, is filled with living ideas, and we can engage that by books. Uh, the other thing I think that she said that I think that is really important is that the child as a learner uh, is, is multidimensional in their way of understanding the world. So God has given them reason, 
He's given them imagination. He's given them intuition. He's given them emotion. He's given them their bodies and schema to be able to engage the world and find out about that world. And, and her desire was to build a model and a curriculum around the way the child best learned. And that's what she spent her life work doing. Uh, and taking that into where we are now, I think that the ideas that she purported were, as I say, universalizing and timeless. The view of the child as being a meaning seeker and meaning maker has not changed. Uh, the idea of the power of the integrative liberal arts curriculum that puts the child in touch with real ideas has not gone away. Uh, the idea of teaching children in line with their nature of how God made them to be, of understanding that the six-year-old is vastly different than the 12-year-old, is vastly different than the 17-year-old, and that we need to think about how each of those developmental levels need to be taught most effectively. Uh, I think all of those things are things that we continue to work on and grapple with today. Yeah. Let, let's think, um, if you would, about uh, you know one of the big ideas. You, you've talked about this a little bit already. Uh, the child is a born person. Hmm. Um, can you unpack that a little bit in that? Um, I think it's, it's interesting to think of that for, for Trinity School, which is a Christian school, how that connects to the idea of uh, children created in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And even from a more secular perspective, just thinking about what does it mean to be a human being? We hear mm -hmm. uh, there's just lots of conversations about, you know, seeing, uh, seeing people, individuals as humans, mm -hmm. seeing one another as human beings. Um, it seems like an idea that um, is really rich for our time. Children as born persons. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, one of the classes that I've taught for years at Covenant College is educational psychology. Uh, and one of the aspects of ed psych is to provide a series of venues around which we look at who is the learner. So we have behaviorism and we have cognitivism and we have uh, social learning theory and information processing and constructivism. And, and all of these theories attempt to make sense of the learner. Uh, the problem with them is, is that many of them are distorted because they don't give a, give a complete picture of the learner, but each of them provides a little bit of light as to who that learner is. But I found in Charlotte Mason that if you take a look at her books and her ideas, is she probably has one of the most complete views of who that child is. Uh, and she recognizes that while they are holistic, uh, made in the image of God, is that they're also multifaceted and multidimensional and complex, as I mentioned before. And they have multiple ways of learning. Uh, certainly reason is one of those. Certainly imagination is one of those. Certainly intuition, affect, and body are those. But she recognized that all of those work in concert in the life of the child to help them make sense of the world. And that a strong and compelling Christian curriculum and secular curriculum as well uh, is going to be filled with an understanding that the child is an unfolding, developing human being, not a human being to be, uh, but they are coming into the world as human beings already. Uh, and our goal is to help them flourish within that notion of who they are as persons. Uh, and I see that in her curriculum, 
uh, that she touches on each of those aspects of what makes up the, uh, the multidimensional nature of the learner. Uh, she touches their imagination. She touches their ability to reason. Uh, she touches their ability to intuit what it means to live and breathe and interact in the world. Uh, and I find her, like Comanius, uh, another Christian educator, she took Comanius's ideas and really expanded them for the 19th century early 20th century, and now for me, uh, as I grapple with this as, a, as an educationist uh, in the 21st century as well. Uh, I, I think that idea of the child as a person is, is extremely compelling, uh, and, and we ought to continue to talk about it and work it through in our schools. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it has a huge impact on a teacher. Just think about the first day of class when those 18 kids come into a classroom and you you realize here come 18 image bearers born mm. persons that God created who have you know incredible gifts that we're going to discover and who are going to grow and are ready to learn and eager to learn it's just it's such a privilege and an honor there's such respect there I think that mm. a teacher will have for her students uh, you know believing that and, well, even when you look at her 20 principles, which you'll find at the beginning of each of her books, uh, her, her ultimate principle is that the child is born a person. And as you filter through the rest of the 19 principles, you can draw amazing lines back to that first principle because the rest of them actually apply that thinking that the child is born a person. Uh, so how we design curriculum, the relationship of the teacher to the child, uh, the relationship of the parent to the child, the child's relationship with the created order and other people. All of those things demonstrate their personhood. Yeah. Well, you know, one of my questions was how her Christian faith informed and shaped her thinking about education. And we were already touching on that, this idea of, of children as Created in the image of God and more mm. persons. Is there more that you could say about that? Her, how her Christian faith informed her work. Sure. Um, if you look at home education at the very beginning of that book, uh, it talks about our relationship as adults with children in their relationship to God. And and one of the things that she says that's very powerful is that we need to recognize that children are worshiping beings now and not worshiping beings down the line. And she says that for us, if we take a look at the Gospels, is that we are not to place stumbling blocks or hindrances in front of the child as they learn what it means to be a reverent person in front of God. Uh, and so she believed that the means of grace, uh, the reading of God's word, the narrating of God's word, the thinking about how God's word applies to my living and my faith, that that was not just an adult thing, but that was a child thing as well. Uh, that children ought to be active worshipers in church and in Sunday school. Uh, and so that very beginning piece is, is actually really important to me as a parent and as a grandparent of recognizing that my grandchildren and my children are worshiping persons. Uh, the other place I typically go is uh, to her book, Parents and Children, uh, where she takes a look at a painting uh, called The Descent of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and 
in that painting, uh, what we have is at the top, the dove of the Holy Spirit, who is providing illumination down upon uh, the apostles and the thinkers of the age. And, and what we see in that painting is that the power of the Holy Spirit to be the superintendent and the ultimate arbiter of knowledge between man and God and man in the created order. And, and so Charlotte Mason saw that learning was actually an act of reverence uh, and an act in which God and man come together as co-discoverers and co-workers in unfolding the potentialities of the created order. Uh, and that education for children uh, is there in the classroom, as they're playing outside, as they are working to do projects, as they're reading, or whatever it is that they're doing, is also a spiritual unfolding under the power and the sway of the Holy Spirit. So those two pieces, uh, the idea that children actually are worshiping beings, actively worshiping, and that they're under the sway of the power of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and teach them are two things that I often come back to. Yeah, that's great. It it really uh, inspires us, I think, as teachers to create an atmosphere of wonder in our classrooms. Um, that's that's great. Um, often we think about Charlotte Mason as a um, an educationalist for younger children, especially sure. for at Trinity. We have three divisions: our mm -hmm. lower school, middle school, and upper school, and and it's easier for us to talk about Mason with these lower school um, classes and students. But I wonder if there are certain big ideas and principles that she's working with, which continue to inform and shape students' education, even as they um, move through middle and upper schools. Sure. And, and in my experience, to adulthood as well. Oh, no, absolutely. Um, well, I think the, the 20 principles... Uh, apply regardless of age. So I would say that uh, the astute parent or the astute teacher is going to go there first to take a look and see not only how do these apply to my students in my classroom, but, but also how do they apply to me as an adult learner. So when I start thinking about kids beyond elementary and I start thinking about middle grades and, and upper schools, uh, I begin to think about how do teachers come together to think about how these principles apply at older ages when kids are a bit more sophisticated. A couple of things that come to point in mind for me is in that conversation is Charlotte Mason believes strongly in what's known as interdisciplinarity. The idea that uh, subjects are not pulled apart from one another, but that they indeed connect, uh, and that there's connective tissue between literature and art and math and science and social studies and history and music. And that part of what our job is, is to help our students see those connections and those big ideas. That to me is an idea that we grapple with from kindergarten all the way through grade 12. And I, as an adult, continue to think about even as uh, an adult learner now. So I think that notion of interdisciplinarity, how teachers can come together and see how do the subjects that they're teaching interrelate and interact. Uh, the second thing I would say is uh, how do we take the habits of learning and habits of living that Charlotte Mason talked about 
and cast those things for our older kids into works of service in the world in terms of how do we help the world to flourish. So do we work in soup kitchens? Do we work uh, with the homeless? What kinds of activities can we do in terms of building the habits of reverence and honor for other people in terms of service learning and applying what is rich to us to a world that is hurting and broken? Um, and I would say too that that idea of relationship outside the school uh, of our students serving in the bigger and broader world is, is particularly for middle school uh, when our emphasis is on preparation for high school, are we attending to the big question of middle school students moving into high school is who am I? And uh, I know what we did at InTown is we, we created an area uh, on the playground where we built a high and low row course. And on Fridays, our middle school students went out and did problem solving and they worked together in teams because the question there was, is how can I work together to creatively and critically solve problems? Uh, so we redesigned how middle school was done in order to honor them where they were developmentally. Uh, those are a few ideas. I mean, there, there are lots of different things. I'll say this, Inchon was always afraid to go beyond eighth grade. So you guys are much braver than we are to have an upper school. But those are just some thoughts I have. Yeah, no, it, it it does get I think a little more complicated in the as the kids get older. Um, some of the techniques maybe around <laughs> picture studies and sure. narration. Although I think it's really interesting to I've had conversations with our upper school teachers about ways to use narration or even picture studies in say a Bible and theology class in the upper school mm. can be a very powerful thing. So there are there are ways I think of translating this upwards, um, but it takes some creativity. Well, and I do think about narration. I think, uh, and, and this is probably where uh, being an educational researcher and, and looking to make ties between Charlotte Mason's ideas and current research helps me see that things like narration don't have to simply be a retelling that is oral or a retelling that is written. Uh, Students can use things like graphic organizers. Uh, they can create books. Uh, there, there are all kinds of ways, Venn diagrams, all um, uh, close reading techniques. There are lots of different ways for teachers to help students make their thinking visible uh, because narration is just that. Uh, Charlotte Mason called it uh, uh, creative thinking that comes out in a visible sort of way. Uh, and, and I think there are multiple ways of attacking that so that students can continue to do narration uh, beyond just the oral and written narration that will make their thinking visible uh, in meaningful and tangible ways. Well, Jack, I, I really appreciated this time together to talk about Mason and your expertise. You, you have spent so much time um, reading and studying her. And uh, maybe one last question, just, you know, Educational ideas and philosophies can be pretty trendy. Uh, mm. Things can, you know, so what's the, the latest shiny thing out there? I, I wonder what is Mason's like staying power? What, what is one thing that you would want to say here at the end of this conversation that for a, for a parent of, um, of young children right now that just entering school and trying beginning to think about what do they want for 
their children and this mm. next generation. Mm. Um, what is something, Charlie Mason, that you want to emphasize that endures? Well, I think uh, the, lots of things I could say, but one thing I, I will highlight is that um, Charlotte Mason thought theologically, philosophically, and practically. Uh, her starting point was always theological. In God's word, what does it say about children teaching and learning and my place in the world as a an element of that flourishing and unfolding of God's created order? So that was always her starting point. Uh, secondarily, uh, she would say, all right, then, then what does that mean to us as persons? What does that mean in terms of our pedagogy. So after that, after she thought about her theology, she built her philosophy upon that theology very carefully. And then she took it to another step. She said, all right, if, if my theology makes sense and my philosophy makes sense, I need to create a curriculum that is in line with that. And, and so that's where she spent a lot of her time is thinking about living books, living ideas, based upon the development of the child that would engage them and stretch them and cause them to grow as persons. And, and so I, I see educational trends come and go, but I think uh, what is refreshing about Charlotte Mason is that she thought theologically, philosophically, and pedagogically, and all of those things are in a nice, neat row. Uh, and, and they work out really neatly all the time. So I would say that her truths are very timeless and universalizing. And she uh, she really tested those out, right, in her... In, in her schools? Yes, for years and years and years, not just in uh, middle-class schools, but in schools from children in factories that would be considered working class. Uh, and, and we find this in America today. Uh, I work with a number of schools that are under-resourced, uh, that are very diverse, that are attempting to apply Mason's ideas and principles in their diverse context and are having lots and lots of success uh, in growing up the next generations of children. So, yeah, I would say that her staying power is that the truths that she purported were timeless. But they're also not afraid of current research. They will stand the time of, of current research. And, and one of the organizations that I belong to, the Charlotte Mason Institute, that is part of our work is, is looking at current research relative to Charlotte Mason's ideas to see if they stand the test of time. And thus far they do. That's great. Well, Jack, thanks for um, all your good work on this. And thank you for taking time with us today. And we've appreciated your friendship with Trinity School and support over the years. And it's great to reconnect with you. Great, thank you so much. All right. Take care. Thanks. The mission of Trinity School is to educate students in transitional kindergarten to grade 12 within the framework of Christian faith and conviction, teaching the classical tools of learning, providing a rich yet unhurried curriculum, and communicating truth, goodness, and beauty. Find out more at trinityschoolnc.org.